How can we reach the last mile of logistics? Imports continue to surge. And with Earth Day this week, supply chain companies celebrate their contributions to sustainability. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Honeywell Intelligrated. From system design and emulation to integrated warehouse automation software and technologies to ASRS shuttles and robotics, Honeywell Intelligrated's end-to-end solutions address the most pressing e-commerce and labor challenges facing our industry. To learn more, visit sps.honeywell.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, with the huge surge in e-commerce this past year, it puts a strain on home deliveries. The supply chain industry calls that the last mile, that final leg to all of our homes. To find out how companies are coping and reaching the last mile, here is Victoria with today's guest. Victoria? Thanks, Dave. Our guest today is Aaron Hagman, CEO of Delivery Drivers, Inc., which is a provider of HR services for 1099 independent contract drivers specializing in last mile delivery. Aaron is here to talk to us about trends in last mile delivery in the past year, and especially as we emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome, Aaron. Hi, Victoria. Thanks for having me on today. Our pleasure. So more people are shopping online than ever before, and home delivery is a regular occurrence in rural, suburban, and urban settings across the country. How are companies keeping up with the growing demand for delivery drivers, and and what are you seeing in terms of hiring trends? Yeah, that's a great question to kick us off today. Um, You know, one thought I have as we look to this industry overall especially over the last year, year and a half now, is that if you were already delivering, you have to deliver a lot more than ever before. And if you weren't, you needed to figure out how. So there's such a huge demand for drivers behind all of this that the world's had to really look at not just considering, oh, I need drivers occasionally, but putting forward a full-time effort. And it really involves two processes, often an in-house effort of recruiting and sourcing and onboarding, and these days looking outside of our doors on finding more drivers, whether it's hiring a company like mine at DDI to help you with just sourcing drivers, and you know we find thousands of them every week, or whether it's looking to third-party partners to help fulfill those deliveries and kind of meet your staffing needs that way. It's a little more expensive sometimes to give it to, you know, to give your restaurant food to a Grubhub, for example, Um, but it's a good solution if you don't have enough crew. What are some of the greatest trends you're seeing in last mile delivery as we sort of emerge um, from the pandemic? Um, I'm thinking in terms of, you know, the variety of companies that are adding and managing last mile delivery, and kind of the newest types of products you're seeing being delivered, that kind of thing. Um, A couple trends on here, you know, top three conversations with my clients are unemployment is at 6%. So how do we strategically shift, not just recruiting drivers, but sharing drivers? So it's a big trend extending from staffing into not just 
do I have enough drivers for my company and does my competitor have enough drivers for that company? But we're hitting a, a mathematical tipping point where we have to figure out how to pool our drivers together and share those drivers. That's a big conversation. And the second conversation revolves around delivering new things. And so suddenly we were experts, you know, my clients would be experts at, experts at delivering one product, say groceries or boxes. <laughs> but now they need to pivot and expand their delivery support uh, logistics. And, and those changing needs, when you look at the HR side from DDI's perspective and our company, it, it changes often all the different pieces of the puzzle when you're talking about, okay, how do we get this done now? When you have to figure out how to deliver something new in addition to the products you're used to delivering. Now, DDI serves couriers, retailers, grocers, restaurants. How are their needs changing when it comes to managing the last mile? One size doesn't fit all. And so we often used to see that if we looked at certain pieces, and let me take an example like running background checks, we could run background checks on delivery drivers. Well, running background checks on, quote, delivery drivers is not a one-size-fits-all solution anymore. Because the evolution is suddenly my grocery clients could run a background check for delivering groceries, but the same client and subsequently the same drivers are now delivering pharmaceutical products or alcohol. And, and the scope changes and suddenly one size doesn't fit all. And we need different drivers with different vehicles or different background checks and things like that. So really considering the the, the evolution that we're all experiencing in delivery and logistics, when you look at this, it suddenly is every little change has these ripple effects that, you know, make us have to look at, again, almost every piece of the puzzle when it looks, comes to our HR solutions. Along those lines, how has your customer base changed in the past year due to the pandemic? Are you serving different types of, of uh, brands and clients these days? It, what's really interesting because we've been in business 25 years so i took a step back and i was thinking about you know what's different these days about our customer base that's talking to us like our new customers sales and marketing team and so in chatting with them what we've realized is that for years the delivery needs the companies that needed hr support for delivery were the third-party delivery companies because you know they they just supported the world there but now, even take, I don't know, take a big retailer example like Best Buy. Best Buy may have had a third party helping deliver their goods when they got it, but the world shifted. So Best Buy does so much delivery and online business, they've had to consider out how to do this themselves. So at DDI, what's really shifted to your question is, we're talking to not just the delivery and logistics providers, but the retailers themselves that are really trying to figure out their omni-channel logistics challenges. With the rise in violent crime in many cities across the country, I'm wondering if driver safety has become more of a concern than it has in the past. Specifically, what are companies and, and drivers themselves looking for when it comes to services that will keep drivers safe? Yeah, that again, uh, a front of brain topic that you know our risk management team tends to discuss, you know, almost every day. And there's a few things on here. And one of the things we pay a lot of attention to at DDI is the evolving laws supporting independent contractors. You know, privacy laws have had to be amended to allow rideshare drivers freely to include cameras in you know their vehicles now for their safety, for example. And so seeing an evolution in the last year to allow for contact deliveries, non-contact deliveries with COVID concerns, or literally leaning into making sure that 1099 workers have 
rights to refuse jobs. Oh, I don't want to go to that part of town. I don't feel safe or it's too late or, oh, I can only work alone at this time instead of having you know, a partner with me and I don't want to do that. So these are some of the quick considerations we, we talk about at DDI because we really deal with the 1099 networks a lot. Um, but this is a, a conversation quite candidly, I think we need to continue to have as an industry. That's for sure. Um, Aaron, thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate your insight. Yeah, thanks again. It was great to talk to you again. We have been talking to Aaron Hagman, CEO of Delivery Drivers, Inc. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Aaron and Victoria. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. Ben, you wrote a couple of stories about how the pandemic is driving a surge in imports. Could you tell us more? That's right, Dave. Uh, we saw this week that pandemic conditions are finally starting to ease in many markets, and that's leading to the continuation of a surge of imports into the U.S. Uh, the latest proof of that trend can be seen in the warehouse real estate market, where vacancy rates are sinking and rates, uh, rent rates are soaring. Excuse me. That's according to CBRE, the uh, real estate company. Uh, specifically, retailers are competing to claim industrial space near seaports. Uh, and that's to mitigate future supply chain disruptions following the pandemic, of course, over the long term, uh, and also more recent events like the Suez Canal blockage that we were all reading about last month. That demand has pushed the average vacancy rate uh, in the warehouse space at seaport markets down to just 3.6% at the end of 2020, and that's a full percentage point lower than the national average. So there's a big gap there. Uh, CBRE executive John Morris said about that, with all the volatility and consumer changes of the past year, retailers and manufacturers have learned to build up a healthy safety stock of inventory to limit supply chain disruptions. Right. And did the study say what kind of inventory was most in demand? Um, the CBRE study did not, but I also reported on a report uh, from the sourcing platform provider, Thomas, uh, which said that during the first quarter, it saw what it called a cautious decline in PPE type of materials, that was uh, personal protective equipment, and corresponding rise in manufacturing materials like steel and lumber. Uh, Thomas also shared its forecast for the second quarter, uh, second quarter of 2021, uh, which of course runs uh, roughly uh, from March to June, uh, when it said that we'll likely see double digit percentage rises in orders for uh, four categories. Uh, first is printed circuit boards. Those are the computer chips that we've all been reading about that are in uh, sharp shortage right now and even stopping some automotive assembly lines. Uh, we could also see a sharp demand for aerospace engineering services. That's as vaccinated travelers begin to return to planes. Uh, a rise in manufacturing is the third one as businesses resume their operations. And finally, uh, Thomas said that we'll probably see an increase in food service equipment as restaurants nationwide start to reopen for full capacity uh, with more vaccinated uh, clientele. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how all that plays out. Thanks, Ben. Of course. Yesterday, of course, was Earth Day, and many companies in our space have been highlighting their green initiatives. And Victoria, you wrote about one material handling company that is committed to renewable energy to drive its manufacturing processes. What can you tell us? Yes, that's right. So industrial battery manufacturer Crown Battery celebrated Earth Day with the commitment to use 100% renewable energy for its manufacturing operations beginning this year. 
The Ohio-based company is best known for its recyclable lead-acid batteries and also its chargers and charging systems, and those are used in a wide range of industrial applications, including for powering forklifts and other material handling equipment. Essentially, they signed a contract with a company called AEP Energy to source clean energy through AEP's Integrated Renewable Energy Solution, which, and that energy will power its manufacturing operations. It's a long-term fixed-priced retail energy program that will support new locally sourced wind and solar power uh, over a period of about 12 years beginning in January 2023. So although that's a couple of years away from development, Crown said in the meantime it will purchase renewable energy credits or RECs from AEP to, I'm sorry, to power its operations until the new supply begins. Uh, RECs are proof that energy has been generated from renewable sources, so that's how they're able to, to start this program right away. Um, this is a, one of a, those, a long line of sustainability initiatives we've been reporting on in the past year. Sustainability and environmental awareness and logistics and transportation is something that really has been steadily gaining traction, but has really come to the fore recently. Um, and as you said, Dave, you know, we received many reports of initiatives and programs this week um, in honor of Earth Day yesterday. Those initiatives include everything from the manufacturing program I just talked about to sustainable packaging, greener DCs, energy efficient battery technologies, and also just general efforts from companies up and down the supply chain to reduce their carbon footprint and try and contribute really to an overall greener supply chain. Yeah, and that's all good progress being made there. Um, so the Crown Battery Initiative you just spoke about is aimed at manufacturing operations. How does it align with their other green goals and to the lead acid battery product itself? Yeah, um, well, to date, Crown says it has invested more than $8 million in energy efficiency, and that includes the use of on-site solar panels, ultra-efficient lighting, and geothermal cooling, um, which is a, a cooling technique that utilizes the heat below the Earth's surface to produce cool air in an environment. Um, it also recently introduced a new um, ultra-efficient charging system, which company leaders there say will drastically reduce energy consumption. So this latest project falls in line with several other um, of their initiatives. On lead-acid batteries, that chemistry itself has been around for a long time, as our listeners know. And manufacturers and dealers often point out that these products are 99% recyclable. And also that about 80% of the material for new lead-acid batteries comes from previously recycled batteries. And that's all according to government data. Um, in talking about this with Crown, they noted that its batteries are more recyclable than an aluminum can, according to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. So to me, this story and, and the others we kind of touched on are, are a nice reminder that there are really many ways to pursue a business strategy that is environmentally conscious and really aims to protect um, and preserve our natural resources. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topic that we discussed today. Thanks, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights of the news this week. Glad to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. And again, our thanks to Aaron Hegman of Delivery Drivers for being with us today. We encourage your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform and to give us a rating. We appreciate your feedback and it really does help people to find us. 
The new episodes of Logistics Matters are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of podcasts, Logistics Matters is sponsored by Honeywell Intelligrated. Be sure to check out the Honeywell Intelligrated On The Move podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google. All episodes of their podcast series are also posted at sps.honeywell.com slash onthemovepodcasts. You can also find Honeywell Intelligrated on LinkedIn and Twitter using the hashtag at Intelligrated. And we'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, so be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.